Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Baxter, number one, is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13. Fully developed. <laughs> Between takes, he might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Cheryl, please. We're going to have a great time together, Cheryl. Okay. I'm called the banana, and I look really good. Uh, can you be a little more descriptive? Peel me. <laughs> Um, Patreon episode of Blue Murder Club. My name's Carrie and I'm your host today and I'm accompanied as ever by my very good friend and my fellow hostess. Lauren, hey hey. Hello my darling, how are you? Yeah, not bad, quite excited, but yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, what are you excited about? I don't know. Just loving life? Yeah, just like <laughs> sit back, relax, kick up and let's see what you got for me. Yeah, true. I think... Um, yeah, because I'm doing today's episode, so you can just chill and just yeah. be entertained. Yeah. Let me entertain you. Sorry about that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm rocking with you. <laughs> yeah, so are you all right anyway? You good? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Uh, yeah, you I'm okay? Sorry, I don't think my voice is working properly. I keep going all like weird. No, I do. My voice keeps like breaking like I we're going know. through some yeah, hormonal. I, I think it's because we've been in the podcast studio for 45 minutes and the dust is affecting my yeah, vocal cords. Yeah, that's what happens every time. It's usually what happens, mm-hmm. so I'm really sorry if I sound weird. I try not to. Um, but yeah, you're all good? Yeah, all right. Yes, yes. Lovely. Had a great weekend, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so it's been good. We've got yeah. a good weekend this weekend. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we have actually. Do you know what? I feel a little bit cheated because this weekend is only a two-dayer. I know. And I'm How very used they? to the three-dayers oh, Yeah, it's all right. We've got one at the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> this is the only one, I think, yeah. in May that we ain't got one. I know. <laughs> I know. It's still, it's still uh, pissing me off a bit, though. Yeah, I, I still agree. feel a bit put out, to yeah. be quite honest. How dare they? How dare I they? Know. Fucking rude, isn't it? Well, the first one, I was rubbing my little mitts together, thinking, oh, mm. an ice free day. Then the last time, I was like, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. And then there, I'm like, all right, like, yeah, uh, yeah he's, um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
Right, so, are you ready for the uh, podcast? I am. I'm sorry, it is about a very nasty serial killer. Oh. <laughs> oh, your little, your little noise you just... Oh. Made. Oh, babe. Help me. <laughs> I'll try and gloss over the gory details. Okay. I have got no gory details in fact. Oh, okay. Actually, I haven't got a couple. Oh, God. But they're right at the end. Okay, that's all right. Um, but the other... So, I listened to... There's a podcast called All Killer No Filler, and I think they've been around for a little while, but they're similar to us, except they're professional comedians. Oh, nice. Um, I thought you meant I, professional in any I, sense of the word, Kaz. I like to think of us as amateur comedians, <laughs> in that we don't get paid, but we're funny as hell. Yeah, fuck it. Um, but yeah, they do a true crime podcast, and they cover this case, and they did it as a three-parter. Wow. It is a massive case, but I've condensed it down, and I've cut out, they went into proper detail about wow. the... Um, the state the victims were left in and stuff. And I thought, we, I don't need to discuss no. that. It's a Patreon. We'll keep it short and sweet. If people that are listening to Patreon want to delve into it a bit deeper, the information is out there. But I don't really want to be talking about shit like that. Mm-mm. There's some stuff the girls were talking about. I thought, I can't imagine Lauren sitting through that, to be quite honest. <laughs> I'm just going to be shell like a tortoise tonight. You'll be sitting there going, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> so I thought, I'm not going to put it in. Okay. Oh, there we are. So, the case that I've brought for you today is the case of Rodney Alcala, a.k.a. the dating show killer. Mm. That was the little clip that I played for you earlier on. Yeah. That was a little clip from the actual show. So, do you remember that game show um, in the 80s and the 90s called Blind Date with yes, Cilla Black? Yes, it's a prize. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was that, it was that, but in America. Oh. Um, and this is in 1978 that he appears on it, so they must have had it over there years before we got wow. over here we, it must have been perhaps it was successful when they brought the whites over here called mm. it Blind Date instead of the dating show but it was exactly the same format so there's a girl behind the screen of shielding her from three contestants like three yeah. possible suitors and she'd ask them three ridiculous questions they'd give her three equally stupid answers and then she'd pick one and they'd go and date and then they'd come back the next week and tell us all about how the date went and yeah this this Rodney rocks up on it <laughs> and his flares and his fucking curly hair because yeah. this is the 70s and they're all just like wearing the most funky outfits and whatnot but has he got the chops i don't think he has but he he's got naturally curly long curly oh. hair well i'll say it's, it's naturally curly it's not naturally long obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah he seems to wear it quite long mm. and yeah so he's got a bit of like a mop top thing going on he looks normal I mean, he gives gives very cheesy answers, but they all give cheesy answers. Yeah. I mean, do you remember Blind Date? Yeah. Proper cringe. They were so bad, weren't oh, they? Oh, so bad. The script writers were like, yeah. what the fuck? I mean, people that listen back to Alcala on the show and the clip and the weird things he says. And I mean, literally just now, you was like, oh, that's yeah. really creepy. And I was like, I know it's gross, but he probably didn't even write them answers. There's usually script writers making all this shit up, isn't there? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. But in hindsight, when you know what he mm. did and what he was... It sounds really creepy, especially that banana. Peel me. Oh. <laughs> no, thank you. Sorry, did I just make you be sick and you yeah, a little bit Yeah, just there? a little bit. Yeah, I don't blame you because he's fucking disgusting. Right, so Rodney Alcala was born Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Bouguer in San Antonio, Texas on August the 23rd, 1943. Mm-hmm. He moved to Mexico with his family when he was around eight years old. I think his father moved the whole family down there and then his father abandoned them while they were in Mexico. So Alcala and his siblings and mother, like so Rodney's mum and took the, him and the kids, mm-hmm. the rest of the kids, they relocated to Los Angeles. 
at the age of 17, Arkala joined the army. Um, he was discharged in 1974 after suffering a breakdown and being dis- diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder. Oh, God. He weren't in there for long, only a couple of months, and I think he just had some kind of an admin job. He didn't see any like serious action, so I don't, don't think that's a reason okay. for why he did what he did. This is definitely nature. No. Yeah. yeah, nature. Yeah. yeah, he was in like a natural born killer, I think. Um, so when he was a young man, he attended uh, California State University, and then he mm-hmm. transferred to UCLA, where he graduated with a fine arts degree in 1968. Right. Um, in 19, oh here we are, in 1961, at the age of 17, when he joined the army to become a paratrooper, but he just served as a clerk. Right. During his time in the army, Alcala was noted by his commanding officer as being manipulative and vindictive, as well as being an individual who frequently disobeyed orders and resisted authority figures. Alcala was disciplined on several occasions for assaulting young women. In 1964, after what he was described as a nervous breakdown, during which he went AWOL and hitchhiked from Fort Bragg to his mother's house, he was diagnosed with the antisocial personality disorder. But they also... They tested him and he was estimated to have an IQ of 135, which is really high. Really high. Yeah. And he was discharged on medical grounds. Yeah, so like I say, he then um, graduated UCLA with a fine arts degree. And on the 25th of September 1968, he um, abducted this little girl. So he was witness. There was a passing motorist, an eyewitness called Donald Hines, and this was in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. obviously where he lived with his mum and that. And Donald has seen him abducting this little girl off the street and he phones the police. Oh, I think he followed I think he followed them. He's seen it, followed them, thank God. Called the police, like gone to a payphone, called the police. And um the police knock on the door. This Rodney geezer comes to the door with no clothes on and says, Oh, hello, what can I can I help you, officer? <laughs> And um, they're like, well, we've had reports that you've abducted a little girl. Can we come in and search your apartment? He's gone, yeah, let me just pop indoors and get some clothes on. So he shut the door, gone inside. He's gone for quite a long time, so the police break the door down. The little girl, she's eight years old. Her name is Tali Shapiro. Yeah. <clears throat> He's like molested her oh, no. like badly. And he beat her with an iron bar. Oh, God. And um, so she was still alive. But she'd been beaten with a steel bar and he had fled. So that's why he didn't come back. He'd chucked his clothes on and scarpered. Um, poor little Talia, she was in a coma for 32 days. And then she spent months and months and months in recovery. Um, yeah, he'd abducted her on her way to school and he pulled up and asked her if she needed a ride. Um, oh and then God. he told her, she said no, and then he said that he knew her parents, so she got in his car. But luckily, Tali, she don't remember anything. She just remembers getting in his car and she remembers absolutely nothing else. Oh. Thank goodness yeah. for that. She had complete amnesia because yeah. she was in a coma for so long, she just lost her memory. So at least she doesn't have the memory of what yeah. he did to her, which is a small blessing, but mm-hmm. a little bit of one, and she did survive. Um, Tali's parents relocated the whole family to Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. So to um, evade the resulting arrest warrant... For the kidnapping and the rape of Shapiro, Alcala left the state and he moved to New York City and he enrolled in NYU Film School and he changed his name to the name John Berger. <laughs> what I think a name! Carrie in uh, Sex and City yeah. has that of a John Berger, don't you? 
Yeah, his name's Berger, isn't yeah, he? He's yeah, he's a writer, isn't he? Yeah. I read that, I was like, okay, cool. Um, and now he really goes to town. So there's um, there's a young woman called Cornelia uh, Criley. And she's a 23-year-old TWA flight attendant. And she was found raped and murdered in her Manhattan apartment on the 12th of June, 1971. Alcala strangled her with her own nylon stockings, leaving her dead in her apartment at um, 427 East 83rd Street in New York City. It's believed that Cornelia, she met Alcala as she moved into her new apartment and that she might have accepted his help moving some furniture in. Um, at the time, her boyfriend, Leon Worstein, was under suspicion for her murder. Um, she, yeah, so just to briefly say, so it was, 19, it was the end, towards the end of 1968 that he scarped and moved to New York City. In 1969, while he's still at the film school, he gets a job working at, like at a ch- as a children's counsellor. Oh, no. Like a camp counsellor kind of thing. Oh, God. Uh, so that's what he's doing as a job while he's murdering these women and doing his like classes for his university so yeah he obtained a casting job at a new hampshire arts camp for children using the alias john berger um during this time alcala began to work for the blue cross blue shield association and at the office he worked with another serial killer called richard cottingham have you heard of him no i don't think i have i'd never heard of him either but i looked him up and he's an American serial killer, and his nickname was the New York Ripper, the Torso Killer, or the Times Square Killer. And he was active between 1967 and 1980. Wow. And he had 18 plus victims. So at least 18 victims he had. Wow, we'll have to cover him. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, well, this is that's that's one um, that I'd heard of, but he's really famous when you look him up. Wow. It's just his name isn't, but he, he um, yeah, he was up there with... A lot of them were active, weren't they, during that period of time? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, neither man claimed to have been aware of the other, and there's no evidence they were familiar with each other pr- prior to their respective arrests. So I'm guessing that, well, yeah, this Richard Cotton was also arrested. That's madness, isn't it? Life. Yeah, crazy. They're both working for the same place at the same, same time. Same time. Oh, they were killing in the same That's area. That's weird as mm. fuck, isn't it? Yeah. Eesh. So the FBI added Alcala to its list of the 10 most wanted fugitives in early 1971. A few months later, two children that were attending the arts, the arts camp where mm-hmm. Alcala worked noticed his photo on an FBI poster at the post office. So obviously they've pointed it out. Police have been called. Alcala was arrested and he was extradited to California for the rape and kidnapping and attempted murder of Tali Shapiro. Mm-hmm. By then... Tali's parents had relocated the entire family to Mexico and they refused to allow her to testify at Alcala's trial. Oh, no. Since the authorities were unwilling to charge him with rape and attempted murder without their primary witness, Alcala was convicted of child molestation and sentenced to three years. He only served 34 months due to the leniency of the times whereby the emphasis is on rehabilitation over victim safety. So during this point in time, apparently, there was a lot of focus on just rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and not really a lot else not really trying to keep the you know, keep people, people safe, safe. Yeah. Mm. jesus christ so they let him out of a, after a very short period of time <clears throat> so he was paroled in 1974 after 17 months so less than two months after his release he was re-arrested for assaulting a 13 year old girl identified in court 
just as Julie J, mm-hmm. who'd accepted what she thought would be a ride to school. And this was in Huntington Beach. He kidnapped her and dragged her to the cliffs and forced her to smoke marijuana. Uh, he was convicted of forcing marijuana on a minor and violating parole. So, yeah, he was sentenced to 17 months for his parole violation, but he was again paroled again in 1976. So it's like he's come out and immediately he's gone and done that. Offended again. So yeah. there's no rehabilitation. No, I've underage I've never heard that charge before. Forcing a minor. Yeah, forcing a minor to smoke smoke. marijuana. Yeah, Yeah. I've never heard that charge before. I know, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps it's like getting a, like drinking as well, like alcohol, intoxicating an underage person or something. Do you think that's all they could charge him with? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Violating parole. Yeah. Uh, Retired LAPD detective Steve Hodell, who investigated the rape case, told LA Weekly he thought society would be safe from Alcala. He said, my impression was that it was his first sex crime and we got him early and society is relatively safe now. I had no idea in two years he would be out and continue his reign of terror and horror. I expected he was put away and society was safe. It's such a tragedy that so much more came after that. Uh, For some reason, in 1977, he was granted permission by his parole officer to visit relatives in New York. And this was during the Son of Sam period, which was happening in New York. Um... So after Alcala's second release in 1977, his um, parole officer took the unusual step of permitting a repeat offender mm-hmm. who's known as a flight risk to travel to New York City. Um, NYPD cold case investigators now believe that a week after arriving in Manhattan, Alcala killed Ellen Jane Hover, who was a 23-year-old socialite and she was the daughter of Herman Hover, who owned a really popular Hollywood nightclub called Cyro's. Cyrus was a legendary Hollywood nightclub um, to the point where her godfathers were Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Wow. So, like her mother and her auntie, they wrote like gossip columns, and they were they were a very big, powerful, important family. Lots of big, important, powerful friends. Um, but obviously, like she's just another victim to him, isn't she? Yeah. He doesn't probably care. So she was last seen in her apartment on 3rd Avenue at 44th Street in New York City on July 15th, 77. And in her date book, it showed that she had an appointment to meet with one John Berger that same day. Oh. Yes. Oh, exactly. So her stepfather hired a private investigator and tried to find out what happened to her because she's just disappeared at this point. John Berger, his alias was discovered to be Rodney Alcala and he was interviewed by detectives he said he knew her, but as there was no body at that time, they left it alone. Eventually, her body was found on the Rockefeller Estate in North Terrytown, New York, which was near her family summer house and yards from where a former model had pictures taken by him. Now, I haven't mentioned this up to this point, but he did that really creepy thing like Daniel Jones's uncle, and he had a he had a camera and he'd approach young women on the beach, hear them everywhere to take photographs he'd be like oh you're really pretty um, oh, no. do you want to be a model I can take some photographs of you and so yeah eventually one of these former models came forward and said that he used to take photos of her literally yards away from where that body was found so he was he was familiar with that area in other words oh, I know it's circumstantial yeah. but it shows yeah. that he knows that area he and he's been there area, yeah. yeah precisely yeah <clears throat> um, right there's a young woman She's very young. I hate, I hate to say woman because she's 18 years old. So in my Aww. view, she's still a kid, really. Yeah. But technically, a young woman called um, Jill Barcombe, <coughs> 18-year-old teenage girl from Oneida, New York. 
she was from a big family. She was one of 11 children. And um, she was a really good girl. She was a volunteer candy striper. Who we've mentioned before, that's like a volunteer nurse, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. They're candy yeah. stripes. Beautiful. Um, tights, isn't yeah. it? And she used to play trumpet when she was in high school. And she was quite a small girl. She was small and slightly built. Like, didn't weigh very much. She was quite short. And she was murdered by Alcala on November the 9th, 1977 in Los Angeles, California. Um, so Gio had only been in Southern California for about three weeks before, like prior when her body was found on mm-hmm. a dirt path near Mulholland Drive near Marlon Brando's home in Los Angeles. Um, he'd, he'd posed her body this time. He'd done that really creepy fucking serial killer thing that. of... Yeah. Pu- yeah, I know your shoulders are up by your ears, aren't mm. you? It's horrible. Yeah. It's fucking twisted when they do that, yeah. isn't it? So she was found in a knee-to-chest knee position and she was naked from the waist down. There were signs of a sexual assault and mm. she'd been strangled with a pair of her own tights and her belt and a trouser leg and she'd been beaten. And she also had three bite marks on her right breast. And originally, mm. uh, authorities thought that Jill had been a victim of the hillside strangler because he was active at that point. However, her case was ultimately decided by authorities to have been unrelated after the arrests of the perpetrators. The hillside strangler was mm-hmm. actually two men. Eventually, once it's invented... DNA matches her as one of uh, Rodney Alcala's victims. Oh, um, This is what he used to do, though. He liked he liked to strangle them with his bare hands, first of all, let them sort of come round, revive a bit, and then he'd get their tights or piece of clothing and, and strangle them again, and then let them come round. And that's that that that's that torturous, isn't yeah. it? Really? Yeah, horrible. I don't. Oh, poor Jill. Yeah. eighteen years old. She's, Want to reach out to her? That's wrong, yeah. Um, on the 16th of December, 1977, 27-year-old Georgia Wickstead, who was a nurse, was discovered dead in her Malibu apartment, Malibu in California. Mm-hmm. She was last seen when she drove another nurse, her friend Barbara Gow, home from a bar. When she didn't show up for work the next day, Gow and their uh, colleagues reported her missing. So the police arrived at Wickstead's apartment to find signs of forced entry. Again, Wickstead was posed. She was posed naked on her bedroom floor and she'd been strangled with her tights. She'd been sexually assaulted and her skull had been bashed in with a nearby hammer and she'd been mutilated. Um, Again, prosecutors used DNA evidence and a handprint found at the scene to convict Alcala. So we're talking way in the future. Obviously, there's no DNA evidence in 1977. But luckily, they've kept the evidence on file to compare in the future. June the 24th, 1978, Charlotte Lamb, 31 years old, a legal secretary from Santa Monica in California, was found dead in the laundry room of the apartment complex where she lived in El Segundo. Segundo. She'd been sexually assaulted, beaten and strangled with her shoelace. And she'd been posed as well. She was posed with her hands behind her back. Um, Eventually, DNA at the scene would match to Rodney Alcala, and DNA on a pair of earrings, which were found at his storage locker later on as well, would prove to match um, Charlotte Lamb's DNA. Um, thank goodness for DNA and forensics, though. I, I mean, I know. Yeah. It would go on forever, wouldn't it? No one would mm. tie them together. No, exactly. Because he never confessed, even though he was in prison for years. He never admitted any of this. So, um, would now Kyla moved back to LA under his own name? Mr. John Berger, mm-hmm. and in 1978, he worked briefly at the Los Angeles Times as a typesetter. 
and during this period he was interviewed by members of the Hillside Strangler Task Force as part of their investigation of known sex offenders. And although Alcala was ruled out as the Hillside Strangler, he was arrested and served a brief sentence for marijuana possession. He was living at his mum's house at this point. Right. So, shortly after he was released, in September 1978, mm-hmm. was when he went on the dating game. So, obviously, they didn't do it. They didn't screen him. They didn't do a screening process to yeah. check whether yeah. Bachelor number one was a convicted but fucking sex offender. Uh, yeah, so he appeared as Bachelor Number One on the Dating Game, a TV show that had men and women cheekily interview prospective dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, at the time he was a convicted child molester. Alcala was introduced as a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the darkroom at the age of 13, fully developed. Oh. <laughs> when asked by Cheryl Bradshaw his prospective date to describe what kind of meal he'd be, he answered, I'm called the banana and I look really good. Peel me. It's just vile. It is so bad. <laughs> Sorry, that I'm going to make you be sick again. I know. I had to say it twice because it's just so weird. It's so bad. Um, Alcala's use of charm and innuendo won him a date with Bradshaw. However, when they met face to face, she got a really fucking creepy vibe off of him. Uh, she said he was acting really creepy and she decided not to go out with him. They won't, The prize they won was tennis lessons. That's a bit um, thingy as well. Her name's Bradshaw. Yeah, Carrie Bradshaw. Another Bradshaw, yeah, exactly. It's another name out of... Out oh, of six in a set. Maybe, yeah, it could be. That's a bit of a coincidence, isn't yeah. it? Do you think that's where the author got some of the names from? I hope not. I really bloody hope not. Are they all serial killers? Yeah. <laughs> bit weird though, right? It is a bit, isn't it? I'll tell you what, if it's Samantha in a shot, there is a Charlotte. Oh, no. Is there a Samantha and a Miranda? There isn't a Samantha and a Miranda. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) That's a good spot, though. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, they they won tennis lessons. That was their prize. Their date was tennis. And she just didn't go. She didn't didn't want to go out with him. She hated She didn't like him at all. And um, one of the other contestants, he was interviewed, and he said the same. He said he... The geezer was not right. He was proper creepy. He was the sort of bloke that would go, get right in your face. Oh, no. Like, he went up to me and he went, see, I always get the girl. Oh, <laughs> But he was like off, a proper fucking freak. space invader. You know, one yeah. of those people that just thinks they're the nuts and gets right in your space and you're like, no, I don't like fuck him. off, yeah. you freak. I don't want to breathe your air. Yeah. Ugh. Move the fuck up. Yes, exactly. Back the fuck yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no one liked him on that show, Laura. No one liked him. Everyone thought he Good. was a prick. And they were right. Good. So, on February the 14th, 1979, according to later trial testimony, mm-hmm. Alcala picked up a 15-year-old hitchhiker called Monique Hoyt in uh, Riverside County. Mm-hmm. He drove Monique to his apartment where they had consensual sex. Right. They then travelled to a seclu- secluded mountainous area near Banning, California in the morning where Rodney took photos of her in her underwear as well as pictures of the two of them engaging in sexual intercourse he then tied her up here we go gagged her with a t-shirt beat her raped her sodomized her and bludgeoned her in the head with a rock now monique she managed to gain his trust she just kept being really friendly to him and it saved her life because he agreed to drive her back um she escaped when they went to a gas station she went to like petrol station toilet and she managed to get away and she got to the police and reported him Mm -hmm. um so he was arrested and then his mother posted his bail (laughs) fucking hell and my 
good is that? Some mothers do have them. Isn't it? What a mummy's boy. Ugh. Fucking hell, spot rotten. Vile. June 13th, 1979, Jill Parento, 21-year-old computer key punch operator. I don't mm-hmm. know what that is, but it sounds like a bit of a, I don't know, just, just a Typist. Like, yeah, typist, yeah. office person, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So she left work early to go to a baseball game. When she didn't make it to work the next morning, police went to her Burbank, California apartment to investigate. They found signs of forced entry. Parento was dead. She was naked on the bathroom floor. She was posed with pillows under her shoulders and she'd been sexually assaulted, beaten and strangled. Her killer, he cut himself crawling through the window and blood evidence would later identify Rodney Alcala as the perpetrator because obviously he's left his blood yeah. there so he's got his DNA. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Parento's friend, Catherine Bryant, testified that uh, she and Jill, Jill Parento, mm-hmm. had met Alcala at a club several times before. And at the time, her murder was attributed to the Hillside Strangler. So oh. They thought she was one of his victims until DNA with the blood yeah. years down the line showed that it actually was Rodney Ocala. Oh. Um, maybe that's why the Hillside Strangler is so famous, because a lot of their ones were like... His ones. Yeah, his ones. Yeah. Yeah, and he's sort of kept under the radar, re- yeah. radar really, hasn't he? Um, this is this is the last one, so don't worry, we're nearly at the end. <laughs> You can breathe. I know. I like just sitting here waiting. All the colours gone out of Lauren's face. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, oh no. Like you need a stiff whiskey or something. (laughs) Here we are. This is. It's the last. It is the worst, but it's the last. Right. Strapping. Robin Christine Samso, a twelve-year-old young girl from Huntington Beach. Um, she disappeared as she she borrowed a bike off one of her friends, like a yellow little push bike Mm -hmm. from one of her friends, to go to her ballet class on June the 20th, 1979. So um, her decomposing body was found 12 days later in the Los Angeles foothills, dumped off of Santa Anita Canyon Road. And again, she'd been beaten, raped, stabbed with a knife. Um, So when they were interviewed, Robin's friends told police that a stranger had approached them on the beach asking to take their pictures, just getting getting in the way. Why some adult Mm. talking to all these 12-year-old girls? But yeah, he had been seen and they they did a composite picture of him. So the detective circulated the composite sketch and Alcala's parole officer straight away. Yeah, that's that's Rodney, Rodney. Fucking sex pest, dirty bastard, get him. Thank you. Couldn't have put it better myself. Sorry. (laughs) It is though. I'm livid. I know, what a fucking asshole. He's on Beldo still, right? He wouldn't even been out if his dickhead mother hadn't I fucking know. paid his bail. Stupid. That, that, I'm livid. I'm just livid. The whole thing is annoying, yeah. isn't it? It's really just... Oh, could have been say, avoided. as well, we've got the Night Stalker active this place at this time as well, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're all, they're so all we've got about four serial killers. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah. I'm sure... Here and there. I'm sure the longer we do this podcast, more will come up. Yeah. Because yeah. up until today, I didn't know about that. No. Um, the Times Square Ripper either. No. So, yes, um, yeah, it's horrible, awful. So, this, yeah, this poor little girl, she's literally going ballet class and this piece of shit just abducts her and murders her. Awful. Um, So, yes, a ranger found her remains and her hands and her left foot were missing. Her head had been removed Mm -hmm. from her neck. A kitchen knife and one of her shoes were found nearby. Um, she was very decomposed by the time they found her because this is, I know it's only 12 days, but it's in the middle of summer. Yeah. So, but yeah, on the 24th of July, he was arrested and charged with Robin's murder. 
his car was also seen by a ranger. Right. So there must have been like quite a lot of rangers around. Yeah. He drove a Datsun F10. That was identified by a ranger. He was seen trying to get a young girl to go down to a stream. Yeah. So they've clocked that. It's in the car. Wrong one. That was it. Yeah. Wrong one. Yeah. Um, so they've arrested him, took him into custody, charged him with Robin's murder. Now they go to his mother's home because that's where he lives and they found a receipt for a storage lockup. So they go to this lockup and they find like hundreds and hundreds of photographs in there and some trophies. Oh. Um, amongst the trophies are a pair of Robin's earrings. So he must like remove the earrings oh, from his victims. Never. But there was other earrings too. There was a pair of earrings from Charlotte Lamb which weren't actually tied into her until like years later with the DNA, but they were her earrings as well. There's your Charlotte. There's Miss Charlotte, exactly, yeah. <laughs> he went to trial for Robin's murder, and um, Robin's mum, she obviously went to the trial, and she actually took a gun. She was going to shoot him. Really? Yeah, she took a gun, like a point twenty-five minute. Uh, I like this gun. woman. Yeah, but she didn't use it. She, <sighs> had, she had faith in the justice system. She thought, it's fine, I'll, I've got faith in it. And she um she didn't use it. But she did actually, she developed a drug problem. She was never the same again. She never worked again. Her life literally yeah, fell to pieces. I can understand that. In 1979, he was found guilty of first degree murder and kidnapping. And kidnapping exposed him to the death penalty. I mean, this piece of work, he don't even admit what he's done. He's fucking saying not guilty. The conviction was overturned on technicalities once in 1984 and once again in 2001. No. The appeals court... Um, they were stated the jury shouldn't have been allowed to hear about his previous convictions and there was um, a question mark over the statements made by his cellmates. They're saying they per- they were perjury and whatnot. But he wasn't released. They kept him Fuck in prison. So. Yeah. Dickhead tried to sue the California State Prison once because he had a fall and also because they didn't provide him with a low-fat diet. Stop it. I'm please. not even joking. Where Dickhead. does he get off? Oh, he Where look- the fuck does he get off? He looks like the biggest prick in the world. Yeah. He really does. In 2005, the brother of Jill Barcombe, Bruce, Bruce Barcombe is a great name, isn't it? Yeah. Tried to persuade him. He contacted him in prison. Yeah. He tried to persuade him. He's like, please come clean. Please spare the family's ill deal of, of the trial. Because yeah. by 2005, DNA testing had thrown up the other four victims. So he obviously, Bruce yeah. knew there was going to be a trial coming up. They yeah. were going to have to go for it. But he wouldn't. Refuse. No. I'm innocent. Bollocks, bollocks, bollocks. So, during the trial, he tried to defend himself. Mm-hmm. It turned into a massive circus. He even tried defending himself, showing a clip of him on the dating game, saying that he was wearing those earrings. They weren't Robin's earrings, they were his earrings. He looked I'm wearing them on the dating game, which was like a year before he killed Robin. But it was the, the picture's too grainy. Mm-hmm. You can't see what he's wearing in his ears. So, based on new forensics and supported by eyewitnesses, including Monique. Yeah. In 2010, he was tried for five murders. Murders of Robin Samso, Charlotte Lamb, Jill Parento, Jill Barkham, Georgia Wickstead. He was eligible for the death penalty due to the multiple murders. The DA prosecutor called him a monster and said that he deserved to die. He stalked and killed his prey simply because he enjoyed it. Fucker. He was strangling his victims with his bare hands until they passed out and then once again with items of clothing. And once dead, he'd pose their bodies and take photographs of them. Bastard. On the 25th of February 2010, a third jury found him guilty of all five girls and women. By then, he's age 66. And on the 30th of March, the death sentence was imposed on him. Good. After this is all done dusted, so late one in 2010, the Huntington Beach detectives um, 
they release hundreds they release about 120 photographs from the shoreline washington storage locker yeah which was his locker Mm-hmm. Some of the girls that he photographed, some of them had addresses and names and stuff on the back. So they do their best. They contact them, try to rule them out whether they're victims or not. Yeah. Most of the women are fine. They're like, yeah, I'm all right. I've got my picture done. Yeah. I'm fine. Some of them aren't. So this is all available online. So if you want to look, you mm-hmm. can. Um, so some of them, they're using obviously some of them to match to some cold cases. Yeah. Someone recognised one of the women. And after a DNA match, it was confirmed, this was in 2013, so this is like, what, 30 or 40 years later, there was a woman called Christine Thornton, aged 28, from Wyoming, who at the time of her death was six months pregnant. She disappeared in 1977, her body turned up in 1982, and a relative recognised her photograph when they released the photos. Yeah. So they've run a DNA match between... Like her remains that they found in 1982 yeah. and her family members, and it was a match, so they found that as well. So that's another woman that he killed, Christine. <sighs> he was charged with her murder, but by then he was too old and in too poor health to travel. Yeah. Um, that was in 2013. And then um, he died in prison of natural causes on the 24th of July 2021. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fuck off. Bad, yeah. Bad, bad man. Yeah. Evil. 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 Pure scum. S-O-B. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I like it. S-O-B. Yeah, boy. Yeah. So that is it in a nutshell. Like I say, it's well a done. huge case. We could easily have done this on the main on the main episode. Yeah. No problem at all. But I've oh, sort I of done like a bit of a whistle stop gap for it. Yeah, I don't like him at all. So, yeah. So, yeah. He's um, a fucker. Yeah. So, um, well, I think that brings us to the end of the case. End of the case. Um, Thank you, Kaz. That was very good. Oh, Gruesome, but good. Yeah, cool. Okay, right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. See you next time. See Take you. care. Bye. 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 Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.